you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 to 38. Pray with me one more time. Father God, you certainly, this is certainly true, that that incarnation, that, that you piercing into the darkness of our world with that baby, that ushers in so much joy. But there is no greater joy than you, than knowing you, than being in your presence. And Lord, it's our joy to know that we are going to sing of that joy for eternity. That's our great hope, Lord. It's just being in your presence. And we come together today to be in your presence and, and to confess that to you. That there's nothing in this world that any of us have found that's a greater joy than knowing you and being in your presence. Lord, thank you for, for coming. Thank you for piercing our dark world, to giving us real hope, not, not fake plastic hope of all these different things that humans put their hope in, but something that is true and lasting and eternal. Lord, as we turn to your word and do what Christians have always done, which is listen to you from your word, may your word today Meet your spirits and thus transform us. Give us eyes to see. Give us conviction. Give us faith. Give us real uh, illumination of your word so that we can joy in your presence. Lord, to that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, how do we avoid being one of those sit and soak churches? Now hear me, I'm not anti-megachurch in any way. I, I think we need all kinds of churches, all sizes of churches. I, I'm thankful for every faithful church in our community. But I also get nervous that many Christians, I think, are content to just pop into a church, kind of get their ears tickled by a nice little homily, maybe get stirred a little bit by a nice little song, tip God, and then carry on as if nothing has happened. You see, many Christians are content to sit on the sidelines. They're content not to uh, live out the one another's, developing these Christ-centered friendships. They're content to, uh, to, to not serving one another. They're, they're content uh, to not really uh, getting to know other people or being known themselves. One of the interesting things that uh, we've experienced on getting to, to plant a church in the community that we've grown up in is that, is that we've seen kind of these, these waves of churches come through over the years. So uh, Chris and I grew up in the big church in town. It was maybe kind of the place to be, I guess, for in some people's eyes. But kind of middle school, high school, there became another church that was kind of the place to be, kind of the church that everybody talked about. And a lot of people kind of shifted over to that church. And then when I was uh, in college and a young adult, there was this third church that was kind of the, the place to be, the cool church. And a lot of people then shifted over there. And when we were away from the community, and then there was this fourth church that I guess was even cooler than the other churches. And that kind of became the place to be. And, and it kind of, uh, we saw these waves of people shifting around to these different churches. Now, hear me, I think there's really legitimate reasons to, to, to shift to a different church or to leave a church. And that's okay. And, and hear me, at the end of the day, we really just want you to be in God's will. If, if it's here, praise God. If it's somewhere else, praise God. I, I'll give you a list of a lot of great faithful churches in our community, and there's a lot of them, and we're thankful for them. However, I don't think anyone can deny 
that there's a culture in evangelicalism of chasing the next big thing. And listen, that's dangerous because I think what that has produced in us are these folks that are critical and flighty, not mature disciple makers, okay? Like chasing that next big thing or just being content just to sit and soak. Like that's not going to produce mature disciples of Christ, able to weather the trials of life. You know, leading people to saving faith in Christ, growing in their own spiritual life. As you can tell by looking at me, we're not the cool church. Daniel and, and I think Grant help us a little bit, but they give us some cool street cred. But, but listen, we're, we're not the cool church. Now you might think, golly, this guy's so bitter. I, I, I promise you I'm not bitter at any of this. I'm so thankful for the churches in our community. And to be honest, like I'm, I'm really grateful to kind of get off the mouse wheel of trying to be the cool church. But you get the point that I'm trying to get at, right? That Listen, at the end of the day, I, I want us to be faithful. But in doing that, I, I think my greatest fear is that we become one of those sit-and-soak churches where people just kind of float in, don't really participate in all that God is doing, and then just kind of float out. Like, listen, if, if that's your strategy, you're not going to really find the joy of the Lord here. You're not going to really grow. We, we want you to really invest and be part of God's community here. Today we're uh, in this Advent series looking at Luke 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 to 38. And this is this great passage, this great narrative of the angel coming Uh, appearing to Mary, telling her she's going to bear a son. He's going to be the promised Messiah, even though she's a virgin. All these things are prophesied. These are glorious truths we're going to wrestle with today. In other words, this is like like high history moment, right? Like like this is one of the, the great moments in the history of the world. And these are shockingly miraculous things that we're going to look at. Many of these things I think are hard to believe for some people because it's so unique what is going to happen here. However, the message the angel shares is really coupled with Mary's response. And those things coupled together, they provide a great uh, pathway and truth for how we're supposed to live. Like, like tucked into this story are these nuggets on how we're to be a servant of the God Most High. This, this Son of God that is talked about here, that we are to serve Him. So tucked away here is how we're to live. And I think kind of the pathway, the how, of how we are not to slip into being one of those sit and soak churches. So let's start with believing the angel's message. And let me read verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, in, in these first couple of verses, he's just trying to help us understand the context, okay? He's just setting the scene here a bit. And let me look at, let me look at about six of these. First, the author mentions that Gabriel appears to Mary in the sixth month. Now, what's the sixth month? This could have been the Jewish calendar, the Greek calendar, the Hebrew uh, calendar, the Roman calendar, whatever calendar you're going by. It kind of depends on which month this happened. And depending on which calendar that is, Jesus could have been born around uh, December 25th. But depending if it was another calendar, then he was born at another time. Now, some argue that by sixth month, what he's talking about here is he's comparing it uh, to Elizabeth. And you remember the story we looked at last week, the, the birth of John the Baptist and, and his mother Elizabeth. And so 
Uh, one argument is, is this is about six months later is really what he's communicating. In other words, John the Baptist was about six months older than his, uh, than his cousin, uh, Jesus. Second, the angel is named here, and his name is Gabriel. Now, Gabriel's mentioned a couple of times in the Bible, Daniel 8 and 9, and then here in Luke 1. And he appears uh, to give a message to both Zechariah and the temple that we looked at last week, and now uh, Mary here in, in Nazareth. Now, there's a lot of speculation about angels, and that's exactly what it is. It's speculation. And to be honest, I, I, I don't try to chase too much of that speculation because I think it distracts what is the main thing going on here. Like the angel cares less about how glorious he is or how big he is or how scary he is. He cares about the message. God has sent him to give a message, and that's the point of the angel. He's come with this message. So don't get distracted by all the speculation of angels. Focus on the message, and and the angel was here to validate the message. Third, Nazareth is located in the Galilean portion of the land of Israel. Now, maybe in your Uh, You can picture that Bible map in the back of your Bible. Jerusalem's in the middle. Galilee is to the north. And if you're looking at the map, you see the Sea of Galilee. That's where Nazareth is. And this is kind of the the fertile farmland of the country. Nazareth back then was just a very insignificant village. Fourth, Mary is described as a virgin. Now, now this is the fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah 7. But there's some debate about that, about that prophecy. The debate is, is that there's a range of meaning of this term. What, what does it mean that she was a virgin? Now, at, at, at one end of the range of meaning, it meant that she was just a young woman of marrying age, but she wasn't married yet. And then the other end is kind of our understanding of it today. Now, in Isaiah 7, there's probably an initial fulfillment of this prophecy. And that woman was probably just a young woman of Marian age. But then Mary here is spoken of as a virgin in our understanding of it today. Now, the reason why I camp out on that is, is that's how messianic prophecy works. There's maybe an initial fulfillment of a prophecy, but, but then the prophecy is then fulfilled in a more expansive, more glorious way later on. That's exactly what's going on here. Further, we have this description by the angel of how she is going to uh, become uh, pregnant. And obviously, this is, uh, this is something uh, miraculous that's happening. Fifth is this word betrothed. Okay, what does that mean? Well, of course, that's similar to our understanding of engagement. But, but there's, it's more of a loaded term in this culture than our understanding of engagement. Certainly, Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married, but they're not married yet is the key here. However, the difference in this culture is, is there's just a higher legal standard of what's going on here. They could break this engagement. Now, today, you break an engagement, you know, text them, I guess. But here, there's just some weight to that. Don't text them, okay? Don't do that. <laughs> That's ugly. Okay, guys, high schoolers, don't break up on text. That's weak. <laughs> this is just extra weight to it, meaning like they had to like legally get a divorce if they were going to break the betrothment. The final thing I want you to notice is just Joseph himself. I wish we could give more time to Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite kind of uh, fringe characters in the Bible. You remember the story of Ruth, right? You remember Boaz in, in the story of Ruth? Joseph is that type of character. He, he's, just, he's just a righteous, godly man. He, he just does things the right way. He could be counted on. He was good. He was trustworthy. Now, when his fiancée becomes pregnant and then claims she's a virgin, he does what all men would do, should do. He doesn't believe her, okay? But 
He sets about breaking the engagement, but he does it in a way that is very respectful to her. He, he's not ugly to her. He's doing this in a way that, frankly, is, is, the, is the most kind way he can do it, and that's a demonstration of his character. Now, when the angel comes, like Mary, he believes the angel, okay? And then, really, the snippets of his life that we see after this is that he demonstrates that he's this man for the rest of his life. He cares for Mary he cares for Jesus. He cares for the children that they have together after Jesus. Joseph is this man that is, that is quiet and trustworthy. He, he's a man, frankly, that I admire greatly. He's this type of guy that just does things the right way. He's a righteous man and a godly man. We see it here, but we see it more in Matthew 1, that he's also in the line of King David, which is significant, that we'll see in a few moments. These six points, they're just meant to kind of set the scene for the message. This message is coming, and he's trying to, to set the scene. The message is what's important here. So let's turn to the message, and this call to believe the angel's message, first about Mary and then about Jesus. Look at verses 28 to 31. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive and in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. First, he leads with greetings, O favored one. From the angel's perspective, this is an exciting moment, okay? He's excited about what's happening here. He, he's excited for her. Mary doesn't fully discern all that's happening, but he knows what's happening, and, and he's excited. And twice he calls her favored one. Like, he's excited for her. Like, this is a great blessing. This is a great honor. Certainly what's going to happen, you know, in the coming years is going to cost her greatly. But this is the honor of honors. Like, he's very excited for her. She's a favored one. Now, now this is important to note that she's the, the object of the grace, okay? And this is something that I think our Catholic friends need to hear, that Mary is not the giver of grace. She's the recipient of grace, okay? Now, Mary is just, she's an ordinary teenage girl in many ways. She's from an, an ordinary village. She's an ordinary teenage girl. But there's something very beautiful and something very special about her soul. There's something about her heart that God would, would choose her, that he would favor her in this way. She's very ordinary from the eyes of the world looking at her. But, but not in God's eyes. He favors her in some way. And second, the reason that she's so blessed is that the Lord is with you, is what the angel says. I think there's layers of meaning here. God's presence was with her. And I think initially that means that she had this spirituality, she had this relationship with the Lord where God was in her presence. I think ultimately that's why he chose her and favored her in this way, is that she knew the Lord. She walked with the Lord. Now, obviously, there's a layer of this meaning that where she's going to be in the presence of God in this unique, special way that's different than anyone in any time. But, but God's presence is the blessing. And the third thing I want you to see here is this really gets to the heart of the angel's message, that he's here to announce that Mary would have a miraculous conception. He said here in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. So this child is not going to be like any other child that has ever been born. He's going to be fully God and fully human. Now let's switch to his message about Jesus. Believe the angel's message about Jesus. Look at 31 to 33. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. But what we really need to see is the angel's description of the child. Like, listen, this scene is not about the angel, it's not about Mary, it's about the child. This is the heart of the passage here. This is the heart of the message is what he has to share about the child. And he gives these lists of titles, these, these lists of descriptions of him. And all of these are a fulfillment of all sorts of Old Testament prophecies, right? Like, like there's just hundreds of them that are going to be fulfilled in his lifetime. And all that points to is there's something otherworldly, there's something divine about this child. He doesn't fit in any other mold. I want you to notice a few things here. First, he says that his name is to be Jesus, which of course means uh, the Lord saves. That, that's the meaning of the name. So just embedded into his very name is his mission and his purpose. He has come to save his people. Salvation is his end. That's why he's come. Now listen, Jesus was certainly a teacher, okay? But ultimately, he's a savior. He's more than just a teacher. He's a savior. And, and further, listen, he's an example to follow. Certainly that. But ultimately, he's an atoner of sins. That's why he's come, and it's embedded in his very name. That we're to believe that he saves. We don't save. That, that lamb that is brought to the temple year after year, that lamb doesn't save. Not like this baby. This baby saves in this ultimate way. Second, and related, of course, he's described as great. This gets to his greatness. He's not ordinary. He's not like every other baby that's born. His saving work is not like anything else. He's categorically different than, than that lamb that is brought before uh, the priest every year. He could accomplish things that no other human could accomplish. You see, he's stronger and smarter and holier than any person who has ever lived. None have been like him. And then, then this gets to this title. Third, he was to be the son of the Most High. What a title. And listen, at different places in the Bible, God's people, the elect, believers in Christ, they're described as children of God. The Bible actually doesn't describe like all of humanity as children of God. But it, but it does describe at times his people as his children. But, but this is categorically different, the son of the Most High. We're not called that in the same way that, that he is. The distinction here is, is think kings and princes, okay? Like you have a king and you have a prince or a princess. And, and there's, there's a lineage that, that is there that's kind of connected to who they are in a, in a family way, right? That, that's what's going on here the Father and the Son share the same essence. If the Father is God, then the Son is God. So he's pointing to the same divine essence as God the Father. So certainly he's going to be born of a human woman, but he's going to also be fully God. Fourth, if he's the Son of the Most High, then there must be a kingdom that he rules over. So consistent, again, with just bukus of prophecies. He's going to be uh, ruling in the, on the throne of David. Now listen, if you know your Old Testament, you know that all of that is pointing to this one who is to come. It all points to this Messiah. And if you're looking for a dog whistle for the people in the first century uh, of, okay, how do we know it's the Messiah? If he can prove that he is the son of David, ruling on the throne of David, 
then that was this greatest dog whistle that, okay, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And that's what he's pointing at here. He's establishing that he's David's heir, meaning he's the Christ. Fifth, consistent, and all this is wrapped up in in 2 Samuel 7, is this prophecy that this baby would be born and he would have eternal reign over the house of Jacob. So Jesus' reign as the Davidic king, it'll be an eternal reign. It's never going to end. David's reign ended. He died. Everything that David sought to accomplish, he didn't accomplish everything that he wanted to accomplish. His kingdom didn't expand the way he wanted. He wasn't a perfect king. He had all sorts of failures, and ultimately he died. But not this king that is coming, not this baby. He's going to have an eternal reign. And if he's going to have an eternal reign, then six, he's going to have an eternal kingdom. So wrapped up in this is this kingdom that it says in verse 31 that will have no end. His kingdom is not going to end. David was, I think, on balance, a good king. But again, he eventually died. He never accomplished all that he set out to accomplish. But this king will, and his kingdom will never end. It'll be a better kingdom than any kingdom we've ever seen in this world. It'll function the way it should function. People will thrive and prosper in this kingdom like they've never thrived and prospered in any other kingdom. There'll be justice will roll down uh, uh, like the waterfalls, Amos says. In that kingdom, it'll be glorious and it will have no end. There will be death no more because the kingdom will last forever. Isn't Jesus glorious? Amen. Like, listen, this is the high glorious stuff. Young people, there's nothing better in life that you can toy with than is better than this. There's no greater hope for the future than what this is. These verses inspired the song, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel. Do you know that Christmas song? Sing we the song of Emmanuel. This the Christ who was long foretold. Lo in the shadows of Bethlehem, promise of dawn, now our eyes behold. God most high in a manger laid, lift your voices and now proclaim, great and glorious, love has come to us, Join now with the host of heaven. Friends, do you understand the message that the angel is bringing us today? And I think maybe a better question is, do you believe the message that he brought that day? And maybe even a better question than that is, do you sing this message? Like, do these truths, do they stir your soul? Do you marvel at the Son of the Most High? To the degree that you lift your eyes up to Him as the thing that is the most glorious. Now, in case you say no to any of those answers, He goes on and the angel continues to build His case for the glories of Jesus. Look with me at verses 34 to 7. And this is a call to believe the angel's message about Jesus' birth. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. First thing that I think is pretty interesting about this passage, it's her response, at least verbally and the words we see on the pages is very similar to Zachariah's response right if you remember from last week Zachariah has a very similar response God judges this as unfaithful and then he becomes mute in that moment right there's something similar here however there's something about Mary's heart maybe it's her tone 
But the angel understood that this was, this was not an unfaithful response, but it was an inquiring response. We'll put it in that category. So he goes on to explain, and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, obviously, we don't understand all that that means and what happened here, but we do know, and what we can take away from this, is that he was to have an earthly mother and a heavenly father. Jesus was both uh, of uh, God the Spirit and God the Father. The, all of that was involved in the incarnation. So he's fully God and he's fully man. That's the truth. That's the doctrine of this moment, even though there's all sorts of questions we can't answer. But as a result of these divine origin, here's what the angel explains about him. He's going to be holy as well as the Son of God. This means that Jesus was perfectly righteous. He never did what was wrong. He always did what was right. When people were in his presence, they just, there was just something about him where they concluded he must be the Son of God. There was something about how he carried himself, how he spoke to people, how he forgave people, how he suffered. The people just concluded he was the Son of God. Do you remember the centurions at his death? They watched him all those hours. And you remember what they concluded in Mark chapter 15? Truly, this man was the Son of God. There was just something holy about him. Now, friends, if you hear this account and and you think, listen, there is no way this could happen. This is impossible. I've never seen anything happen. You would not be foolish if that's where you concluded. But the angel tags this thing in here for you. If that's your conclusion, this is hard to believe. I can't believe this. This seems impossible. He adds that tag, nothing is impossible with God. That's his answer to you. If you read this and say, nope, his response is nothing is impossible with God. Again, I ask these questions. Do you marvel at the Son of God? Do you glory to the degree that your eyes are lifted up out of this world, out of, off of yourself? Are they lifted up on Him to see all of His glory? That's Mary's response, right? Like she responds in this radical, beautiful, faithful way. She takes her eyes off herself and she lifts them up to the glory of God. Look at her response. And and again, I think this is a beautiful response. Verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There it is. That's the key to this passage, I think, for us today. This is crazy to some degree, right? Like this is so out of the box, otherworldly, so divine, nothing like this has ever happened. This is so glorious. We've never seen anything like this. We've had these glimpses of this. We've had some prophecies about this. Like they hoped in this. They, they dreamed about this. They longed for this. But this was not normal. But in the face of the craziness, the otherworldliness of this, Mary doesn't blink an eye. She doesn't waver in any of this. There's no yeah buts in this with her. Like she just faithfully follows him. Notice that she says, the first thing she says is behold. Like she wants to be very clear to the angel. I understand. I see what you're saying. She's very clear in her response. And her response is at the end of the day, I am a servant of the Lord. It doesn't matter what the world is going to think of her. Okay, It doesn't matter what her internal fears are. At the end of the day, she doesn't want to be a servant of the world. She doesn't want to be a servant to herself. She wants to be a servant of the Lord. Now, what's coming is, 
This world is going to hiss at her and boo at her. But she didn't care about any of that. She cares about, does the Lord stand and clap for me? Is he pleased with my life? Like this is going to bring her emotional pain. This is going to bring her hardships. But she is committed to bring glory to the Lord and not herself. That's what it means to be a servant of the Lord. First and foremost, are you a servant of the Lord? Is there something externally, maybe something internally that you serve more? Like when you decide which way to go, how to spend your time, how to spend your money, how to spend your energies, who do you serve? Is it yourself? Is it something, someone or something outside of you? You might say, well, how do I serve the Lord? Okay, I'm in, I want to do that. What does that mean? Well, I, I think, look back at her answer again. Let it be to me according to your word. There it is. You want to know how to serve the Lord. You, you live faithfully according to his word. Is the Bible your guide? If the Bible says, go this way, do you go that way? If the Bible says, this is true and right and good, is that what you make and believe is true and right and good in your life? Now listen, you might be thinking, all this sounds good, but you don't really know me. Like maybe I've tried some of this in the past, but man, I have blown it way too many times. Like I have this long list of failures. I have these powerful sin struggles. Like even if I want to at some level, I, I could never do this. The, all those things are, are, that list is way too long. That sin is way too powerful. Friend, if you're thinking that today, I mean, have, have you read the previous passage? Have you heard who we're talking about here? This, this man is the, the son of the Most High. He's the Davidic king who has this eternal kingdom. It's not going to have an end. This is the son of God. And listen, by comparison, whatever is tempting you to fall away or whatever that long list of failures is, when you compare it to him and his power, the best image I can come up with is the petals on a dandelion, right? And then God and his grace and mercy are like a wild hurricane that just blow all that away. No, no matter what struggle you have or what failure you've had your entire life, there's always the opportunity to return and become a faithful follower of Christ, to be a servant of the Son of God. Why? Because God is more powerful than all those things. His mercy is so great. He just sends grace and mercy upon grace and mercy. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of why He came. It doesn't matter how low you have fallen. He can bring you up to the highest of highs. This is the good news of Christmas. It doesn't matter how long that list is or how bad you've been. You can always return to Him. You can always return and be the servant of the Son of God. I have some friends who, uh, they've had a very appealing dream. Now, I would say it's really probably more of a plan than a dream, okay? They, they put some, some real nuts and bolts and numbers to this. And, I, and I'll say it's appealing, because if I had the same ability and if I could really pull it off, I think I'd have the same plan. They've had this dream or this plan of moving to the country, building kind of a, a self-sustainable cabin or home and, and enjoying the beauty of nature and then living this quiet, peaceful life. Now listen, their dream kind of involved a, a workshop and guns. My dream is similar. It involves Montana and fly fishing. It's the same dream, okay? Are you with me? It's a beautiful dream. It's a very appealing dream to me. However, they told me one day that God was convicting them about their dream. They felt the conviction not to go away from people and find rest, but why God had 
still giving them life and giving them time on this earth, that they wanted to stay around people in order to serve the Lord and serve his people. Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty convicting, isn't it? You see, with the time they have left, it wasn't devoted to this dream of the cabin in the country and fly fishing. The, the, all those energies now shifted to focus, okay, how can we serve the Lord with what we have? How can we serve Him most, most faithfully? How can we serve the people in need? You might be thinking, hey, I'm able to do the Montana cabin and serve the Lord. Brother, if that's you, praise God. Remember your pastor, invite me up there every now and then. But you get the point, right? Who are you serving? What's your daydream? The angel Gabriel had a message about the glories of Jesus. He would be born of a virgin, both fully God and fully human. He was great. He was the son of the Most High, the Davidic king whose reign would never end. He was holy. He was the son of God. So glorious. There's nothing higher There's nothing more marvelous. And upon hearing this news, sweet Mary displays this radical, beautiful faith. She didn't look out at the world around her. She she didn't get uh, look inward and become all self-absorbed with all her fears and all the ways she lacked in so many ways. She looked up to the Son of God. She sought His will. She sought a life according to His word. That's how we avoid being a sit-and-soak church. We look up to the glories of God. We don't get sidetracked by the ridiculousness of this world. We focus on Him and His glory. We chase that, and we become a servant of the Lord and a servant of others. Friends, if in your soul you have a check engine light going off today, then I call you to, to like Mary, look up and be a servant of the Son of the Most High. Are, are you more interested in looking out and maybe serving your buddies or, your, or other people's opinions? Are you more interested in maybe looking inside and serving those fleshly desires of your heart? Or like Mary, are you committed to looking up? Friends, you're favored. God is with us. Therefore, look up to the glories of Christ. Nothing in this world is greater than Him. Amen? Nothing is greater than Him. Listen, she can't give you a high like the Son of the Most High. Do you need to hear that today? Like, listen, he doesn't compare to the Davidic king. Do you need to hear that today? Look up. Look up to what's eternal. Look up to what's holy and serve the Son of God today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for these glorious truths that transform us day in and day out. May we, like Mary, strive to be a servant of the Son of God. May we seek His glory of of anything good and of lesser glory in this world. May we find greater joy in living according to His Word compared to how the world wants us to live. May we look up to Him and see His glory, Your glory, Father, and find joy in it. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.